0: This is the What Matters Most podcast, a 100% listener-supported program. And now, here is your host, Paul Samuel Dolman.
1: Welcome back to What Matters Most, my beautiful and conscious audience all over the world. Thank you so much for tuning in and writing notes and i do want to specifically say thank you mark Ide, who suggested today's guest among many others but mark stands out and so you're gonna get a little hat tip here it's a beautiful beautiful community we are creating here co-creating my guest is a doctor he is a scientist he's a teacher he's also an author he's written a beautiful book you can listen to it's narrated by him himself and also the great director david lynch It's called, One Unbounded Ocean of Consciousness, Simple Answers to the Big Questions in Life. I highly recommend it. It's such an honor to finally welcome to the family officially, Dr. Tony Nader. Thanks for coming on.
0: Thank you, Paul. It's a joy to be with you. Congratulations on your podcast and great
1: achievements. Thank you, brother. You know, I was just feeling, uh, do you wanna say like an invocation, a blessing, or maybe give us a few seconds of guided meditation or something to lead us into a beautiful place here?
0: Silence is the best uh, starting point, going back into the self. So we can start with just closing the eyes and letting the mind float uh, without any judgment, any kind of direction, just being with the self and whatever thought comes, whatever attention takes us to wherever. We just take it as it comes and just settle
1: down and start a new thought with Paul. <laughs> we can now slowly open the eyes. Thank you. Boy, the auspicious beauty of vast space, even for a few seconds really is a game changer.
0: Yes, silence is the basis of dynamism. And uh, when we close our eyes, often we have maybe seconds or moments where we don't have any experience as such, only we are there and there is consciousness. And that consciousness is the basis of all the activity and dynamism and that is why we enjoy silence however to create silence intentionally many will say is not easy Uh, the more you concentrate the more you try the more it runs away from you so we have to know how to let it come to us and in innocence and simplicity usually it comes and of course as we might discuss we have technologies that help how to deal with the mind, how to deal with thoughts, with feelings, with sensations, and allow the mind to settle down to its pure being, its original essence, which is an unbounded ocean of consciousness, an unbounded ocean of
1: being. Beautifully said. Before we dive into some of the deeper topics, I was curious, what was your childhood like growing up in Lebanon?
0: I started off in a country that was a dream place, a place of uh, amazing, what I would say, beauty and uh, grand possibilities um, with nature that's balanced uh, peace and harmony. And then um have known uh, all of this being disrupted with a civil war. Uh, and known many, seen many things that have uh, been destroyed, things that were precious, that I never thought would change uh, or would be going away. And discovered that life is moves on, and there are things one can do and things one has to analyze in terms of people's behavior, decision making, and uh, why take something that is grand and out of various considerations that are often misguided, uh, see things destroyed? So I've lived uh, in my younger age both realities, um, comfort and beauty and peace and hope and also the extreme other side of uh, human uh, potential for self-destruction in a sense and madness. And so there were challenges uh, into resolving these issues and understanding human behavior, understanding decision-making, understanding the meaning of life, where we're going, why we are here, why people suffer, uh, are these decisions determined, or there is freedom? What can we do about it, and how we can improve our life? So, these were the starting points, and I studied medicine there, and then went to specializing and becoming a scientist in Boston area. First, uh, MIT and Harvard Medical School at the same time uh, did a PhD there, and. Uh, did my neurology fellowship at Massachusetts General Hospital.
1: Were you always a seeker even as a younger person? It sounds like you've wanted knowledge and understanding like from the get-go and it looks to be like you, the mind took took the lead and you went the scientific approach first, which is common.
0: Yes, I started actually thinking that the physiology is the primordial vehicle of all um, our thinking and behavior, uh, and therefore if I studied medicine and the changes in the brain, I was always interested in the brain. I did some psychiatry, but then didn't continue, didn't complete it, just went into more the neurological and neuroscientific side rather than just the mental side, trying to really understand um, what guides uh, human decision, human behavior. And at the same time, I learned a simple technique called transcendental meditation that was giving me a deep understanding of the inner self, the inner being and diving deep into uh, settled states of the mind. I saw that my physiology were becoming more resilient. Uh, my mind was able to face uh, difficult situations and clarity of decision ability to withstand uh, hours of demanding work uh, during civil war and in the emergency room and all of that and so i started to see that the mind has a great influence and why is that and how is that and so that is how um Even from the beginning, looking for what is the ultimate truth, what is ultimate reality, uh, and going through the physical side and finding that it has its own limitations, I thought we should investigate also the mental side, the consciousness aspect. And uh, that's how I got interested in the meditation techniques, and particularly, of course, transcendental meditation, and I was lucky to get connected with Maharishi Mahesh Yogi, who is the founder of this technology of consciousness, and learned from him and gradually got involved more and more into the study of ancient philosophy and ancient knowledge. Uh, Whereas I had been, of course, earlier uh, looking into the different uh, philosophies, existential questions, posed from different perspectives. And so this is how it progressed. Uh, and I remained a seeker. <laughs> uh, and then I have found something that is precious. And I sought to share it with everyone who is looking for ultimate truth and meaning in life. That's why I wrote the book as a aspect of understanding that can help those who are searching for more and give them a proposal of solutions to these big questions that have been asked throughout time in philosophy and science.
1: Did you, in the early years, or even perhaps still encounter any inner resistance from the mind or aspects of the mind to sit in stillness I ask not for a friend, but for myself, because I've been meditating a long time. And even though I 1000% know it has changed my life, it's beneficial when I'm deep in it, my mind raves about how we should stay there all day and night. And yet, every time I go to sit, the mind sort of says, well, can we do anything else first? And maybe not, and then it doesn't, want; it wants to check the emails or the anything, eat something. It there's like something it wants to survive because in that deep state it realizes or I see it it kind of vanishes away. It's a necessary tool for this state of being, but I'm amazed that it has such strong amnesia that it every day is a, it's truly beginner's mind. When I start the next time, it would rather not. Did you ever encounter anything like that? Have have you moved past it or just is that just part of it for all of us or some of us?
0: It's part of it for all of us in different ways, because thoughts are there either as stress release or creative thoughts to make things and accomplish things. And our tendency of the mind is always to look outwards in general for things to do, because that is life and living. And uh, when we come to sit and close the eyes, uh, there will be some things that are still on the surface that uh, attract the attention. And that means the mind is still busy uh, resolving immediate things or things that have been there on our psychology and our thinking. And what we do, we say usually just wait and and close the eyes and then these will come and if we don't fight them and we just wait and proceed with the meditation that we have and and i guess you're talking about transcendental meditation or some other technique
1: i would apply to any technique that i've heard of because everyone i've shared that with seems to have the same universal situation the mind like you stated is not inclined to want even 30 seconds of silence or an hour or 30 minutes. That seems to be a resistance, although we can override it with our will, our choice.
0: Yeah, it's uh, our choice or just letting it happen. And then for example, with transcendental meditation, we do not concentrate, we do not control the mind. It's a simple technique that allows the mind to settle down. And the reason is that the mind is always searching for more but it's searching for more usually through the senses, towards the outside. We want more things uh, that are beautiful to see, to hear, to taste, more uh, interesting. We want more knowledge, more understanding, more love. And this is the nature of the mind, looking always for more charm, And we're always looking for that. When there is an obstacle, we like to remove the obstacle and get over it and go towards a better situation because we are looking for more and more and more. Now, when the mind looks for more through the senses, it is looking outwards. And when it comes to sit and to meditate and close the eyes, this outer, tendency will predominate at the beginning and that's why uh, in meditations we usually say sit down and wait like we did now for a few seconds just innocently be there this will help to start clearing up the way and actually the mind will start investigating different places to find its fulfillment and charm And what we say is that the most charming, as you beautifully introduced, is those feelings, those moments of peace and harmony and inner silence that the meditative state brings. And when the mind starts noticing that, it actually goes towards the inner direction. And and there, if you let it go, it then knows and remembers the state and dives towards it. Otherwise, stresses and strains and difficulties will be predominating. And depending on the individual, this was your question, it's like, is it something general? Is it the same for everyone? It is the same for everyone with with a difference. And the difference is to what extent stresses and strains have made an impact on one's physiology and mental state. And for this, we can take an analogy, for example. You can make a line in stone and it will take a long time to remove it. So this is when the stress is deep and strong and powerful, so it will overwhelm the mind and the physiology. You can say you can make a line in the sand and there the line is still there, you can see it, but it's it's going to go away in an easier way. And you can make a line in the water, <laughs> and the line in the water goes away practically as soon as it is done. And in a, what we call an enlightened state, a state where one is truly always settled in that state of being, you can still make a line, but it's like a line in the air and there you barely see it or barely notice it and so based on the flexibility and the level of establishment in what we call inner being pure consciousness or in different ways described as the inner self I know that people also discuss what is the self, whether the self exists or not, but beyond that, let's call it the pure existence, pure being, which we call pure consciousness, that state of infinite, settled, clear feeling of unboundedness and silence, inner silence. If one is settled in that even during activity, so the activities will still have an impact but it's a line in the air, or in the water, or in the sand, or in the stone, based on the flexibility of the nervous system. So these technologies of consciousness, this meditation, transcendental meditation, which I'm most familiar with and most studied in in my understanding and my research, uh, allows actually that state that we experience during these moments of transcending, which means going beyond, going deeper into the self, allows them to stay with us even while we are active. So that we have impressions from activity, impressions from the outer world, but these impressions do not leave a deep effect on us. they stay they are experienced, they are there, there's no question about it. We deal with them, however, from the most comprehensive and complete possible way, and they don't have such a huge impact on us. So to go back to the to the question, the person who has more of this already established in them, when they sit to them to meditate and close the eyes, there will be less of this uh, initial kind of turbulence uh, and easier to go in. And sometimes, you know, events in life can be strong and then there might still be uh, closing the eyes and then this a little bit of agitation or stinking, or which is fine as long as we take it as it comes and wait and not be too judgmental about it and realize that these moments of meditation are moments for the inner dive and therefore not to be attached to the outer aspects although the outer might be predominant and there must be something very important to do and something to take care of and it's urgent and all of that fine but that we will take care of once we come out from the dive inside which nourishes all the energy and creativity and intelligence that is within us so that when we open the eyes we can then deal with the situation in the best possible way otherwise we are mixing the two neither you're out nor you're in (laughs) and that's not an ideal situation So one of the most important attitudes when one sits to meditate and close the eyes is to know that this is the time to go inward. This is the time to water the roots and then the tree will be blossoming in its best possible way. Because if you're worried about the fruit on the tree and it's not very healthy the leaves are drying and getting yellow the trunk is not strong it's you can deal with it on the surface level fine if there is something to do on the surface level but when the time comes to water the root you just water the root because this is where the nourishment will be coming from and the strength for the tree and the fruit and the flowers and the leaves of the the, Of the tree itself, the whole tree. And so we have to realize that this coming in is not running away from the outer and from focus on activity and achieving and doing the email and doing this and removing this obstacle and paying that bill and all of that. It is simply regaining the inner strength and stability that allows us to come out with great power and ability to perform in a way that is most creative, most balanced, most all-inclusive because we are not stressed and strained and we don't have a narrow vision that makes us forget so many potential possible variables that influence the situation. Another example is we say, you know, if you want to have big waves, you have to have a big ocean. (laughs) In the pond, you can only create small waves. In the little you know, glass of water, you create only very little ripples. In the lake, you have potential for more waves, and in the big ocean, you can have huge waves. So if activity is waves of action towards the outside, having in oneself the full ocean of being Allows the activity to be most dynamic and most successful on the outside.
1: That is a beautiful, beautiful way to put it. And for the scientists, and you're one of them, the more we practice, we create neuroplasticity and new neural networks that become larger, stronger, like uh, pathways, highways, super highways, so that when we do sit, I'm conditioned that when I sit down and close my eyes, we're ready to go. And now the mind will squawk like a child. I don't want to get in the bathtub. And, but you just think that's part of it. And I can do it in a crowded, loud place or a quiet place, but it's 20, 30 years in the making. And, but every time it's new and not, and every time it's different. And every time, like I said, uh, the mind says, well, not now, later, or let's not, or we did yesterday. But there are so many scientific benefits for the skeptical. I remember years ago meeting scientists 20, 30 years ago who said the number one thing you could do for your health there at Vanderbilt was meditate. And they had all this research even if you don't believe in any of the mystical aspects, the metaphysical aspects, the transcendent aspects, there are biological scientific advantages to this proven.
0: Exactly, exactly. Many, many scientific studies have been done on that and in different aspects of the nervous system, the coherence, the opening up of the reserves, the connection between right and left brain, front and back, up and down, so that we are using our full potential more and more. Because when there is stress or strain, such as examples that we we can take, then there is a narrow uh, perspective, narrow vision. uh, And that is based on the fight or flight response, uh, where uh, the activities in the limbic system and lower parts of the brain are Activated and the upper part of the brain are uh, told to calm down right now. It's not the time to think about music and philosophy and the meaning of life because one has to deal with an urgent situation. And this is a built in mechanism in the system to protect from danger. So, you know, if we go through the evolutionary process, you know, facing danger in the forest or in the jungle, uh, we have to have all the mechanisms set to act very, very effectively and and very fast. And for that, uh, there are mechanisms of fight or flight. So either you run away or you decide to fight. But in both cases, you have to activate your muscles. You have to activate your sharpness of the vision. You have to prepare uh, the nervous system for certain tasks. And therefore, the flow even of blood we have seen changes from going to the upper cortical parts of the nervous system to the lower parts of the nervous system, particularly in the brain, still in the brain, but lower, meaning the amygdala, different parts that we call the limbic system that are responsible for emotions and fight and flight and all of that. And therefore, the upper parts which analyze the uh, entirety of the situation from a full perspective are not being nourished or are not being activated and this happens uh, when there is stress now in the jungle it used to be different the stress was a life uh, or death kind of situation but unfortunately we have transposed this into sometimes even a loud noise or um, you know, a task to be done that has not been done or a bank account that has to be uh, you know, paid or, or a bill or you know to be uh, to be done, a transfer of money or a letter to be written to a friend or whatever uh, responsibilities. We take these as stressors and therefore unfortunately, the system reacts as if it was, such an important and fundamental aspect of fight-and-flight and and danger. And it shunts away the blood from the upper parts of the brain, and therefore there is less coherence in the higher parts, uh, less connectedness, uh, less plasticity, which means the ability of different parts to take over and do different actions as needed. So there is flexibility, plasticity, and and cooperation between the different parts of the brain. What we have seen to the contrary, and that is scientifically proven, of course, and scientifically studied, is that in these meditative states and the deep levels of transcendence, and even not full transcendence, just diving deeper, then the sense of stress and fear and challenge suddenly, in a natural way, uh, soften and go away. And what you see is more blood flow to the more creative, more analytical, more forward-thinking, anticipatory, which means anticipation of the future, uh, analysis of situation from a much more complete way, uh, happens. And uh, the studies are very, very definite, which means Uh, You can see the brain coherence on EEG between right and left, front and back, that increase very, very uh, dramatically during these states. You can see, for example, that if you create a stimulus, even such as touch the finger of a person, instead of only one tiny part of the brain taking care of this, you can see that there is a propagation of the message so that it's the entire nervous system handling the situation. So what we can say for analogy is, suppose you have a computer that has hundreds of processors. In the brain, it's millions and more. And you use only one processor or two processors. So your computer will be analyzing things, but slower, uh, not as complete, takes time, and doesn't give... Uh, Idea from all the possible perspectives. Whereas if you are able to be in that settled inner state, you are using all the processors or much more than before. And therefore, you can analyze things faster. And that's why we have also seen scientifically that there is more uh, efficiency, more effectiveness in action, faster reaction rate, better concentration, and even the physiology its hormones, the way it works is more balanced and they're not acting in a hectic way, but in a very organized um, way that is uh, very good uh, directed towards proper intention, proper decision-making, while there is at the same time broad comprehension, which means when we focus, we don't lose the peripheral vision and so um, this is very, very much scientifically uh, supported and analyzed over the past uh, 50, 60 years on transcendental meditation. And now other techniques are coming along you know, that can be helpful here and there with uh, different uh, aspects uh, physiologically and mentally.
1: Will you talk about the origins of transcendental meditation and perhaps some of your time with the, the beautiful and great Maharishi?
0: it is uh, many thousand years old it's part of the yoga tradition uh, but it's mental yoga so it's not the physical yoga and yoga has uh, eight limbs uh, that that are considered uh, the uh, foundations of the yoga system yoga comes from the ancient Vedic literature, uh, Vedas. Veda is a term in Sanskrit, which means knowledge or total knowledge of life. It's not a religion. It's not a philosophy. It's actually a science. And many belief systems and connected factors have used this technology or have connected themselves with it. Uh, But it is not truly itself. Uh, philosophical, uh, Even though it has a wonderful philosophy, uh, it's not a treatise or a belief system. So Maharishi comes from that tradition, which is thousands of years old, and which has within it uh, one part, uh, which is the yoga system that uh, uh, Rishi or a seer, as it's called Patanjali, has uh, described in a, in a small book. But then there are practices of yoga that we know there are physical to create unity, because yoga means unity, unifying between mind and body, but also mind, body, and environment, and ultimate unification with the whole universe, going to that field, which is the one unbounded ocean of consciousness, that is actually the source of the entire field of reality. In the yoga system, it's called the kaivalya. That's, again, a Sanskrit word, which means that state of total unity or transcendental state, if you like, and that is achieved on the level of awareness. So this is yoga, the meaning of yoga, and the eight systems of yoga have these different, what they have been calling limbs, because they are Ashtanga. Ashtanga is the name that's given. Ashtanga means eight limbs of yoga. And these are containing laws, uh, ways to interact with uh, the inner and outer, ways to prepare oneself. They're called yam, niyam. And then you have asanas, which is the what today is most uh, used, which is the physical part, the stretching and post- postures and all of that. And then you have pranayama, which is a breathing uh, system of uh, breathing exercises, uh, which is very specific, also very helpful. Uh, Pratyahar is the the connection on the senses and drawing the senses. Uh, And then you have uh, dharana, dhyana and samadhi. Dharana is uh, the ability to have fixity of thought. Uh, Dhyan is the meditation process, and samadhi is the actual uh, attainment of the transcendence, which is what we're talking about in terms of silence and being established in silence. Now, what happens is that these eight limbs have been understood usually as having to be achieved in a sequential form. So first you prepare yourself, you understand, then you do yoga asanas, which means the exercises, then you do the pranayam, and once you've done the pranayam, you start getting into these mental techniques. And ultimately, this leads to this state of evenness, which we call samadhi. Samadhi means the evenness of the intellect, the evenness of the mind, and that which means silence, so the mind, is completely silence It's like the ocean and diving deep into the ocean as you dive deeper and deeper it becomes more and more quiet more and more silent and when you reach the depths of the ocean it's fully completely silent and quiet and that is what is called samadhi that is the state of transcending within so what marishi did is say that there are all these steps and all these limbs that are there, but they are limbs rather than sequential steps, which means uh, if you pull one of them, then all the others come. So he he takes the analogy, it's like if you have a table and you pull one uh, one, uh, leg of the table, all the other legs also come along. So in fact, when you help from one side you help all the other side so when you do your physical exercise the posture you're not just helping the physiology you're helping to integrate also the mind in it and therefore you get closer to transcending to samadhi also when you do your breathing exercise it helps to balance the physiology like that so all of these limbs help each other He said that the highest is to go directly to samadhi, to go directly to transcendence. And transcendence means to dive into the depths of the ocean of being. From the surface, take the inward direction and let the mind settle, guided by its own nature to want more and more. And since inside of us is more than the most, then this is where fulfillment is and that's why the mind will want to go there now of course on the way there are stresses and strains and you know thoughts come and distractions come and you have to know how to deal with them that's why there is a technique uh, which is transcendental meditation that you learn of what to deal how to deal with the different thoughts and different potential obstacles that come on the way to diving to the depths of the ocean, to go to samadhi. So, transcendental meditation is a yoga practice, a yoga of the mind, and um, it is the supreme one in terms of bringing samadhi, bringing the state of settled awareness, going beyond the surface to the depths of the ocean. And that's what Marishi has taught, and I have learned from him, i spent years with him, We did research, I did research on Veda and the origin of yoga and its relation to the human physiology and how actually our human physiology is a replica of the Vedic texts in their structure and function, which is uh, being published also, to show that actually mind and body are not two different things, they are just expressions of the same consciousness the same one aspect of being expressed in different ways as intellect mind sense of ego a self sense of physical material and you know all the universe also and uh this is how we locate transcendental meditation as a yoga yoga technique
1: do you believe we can shift the collective human? consciousness conscious experiment the collective human experience into a higher level of consciousness and way of being here on earth
0: i think it's the only solution to the problems we are facing uh, today and it is based on not only uh, theoretical understanding or hypotheses but on also uh, empirical experimental findings And that is what my book actually discusses in terms of what is the ultimate reality. And it comes to the conclusion that it is actually consciousness, it's not material. And that matter is an appearance in consciousness. Of course, when you say it like this, people say, well, I know the chair is real. Yes, of course it is real. And that's what the book also discusses. It's very real, but real from a certain perspective. And from other perspectives, uh, it is real in a different way. And in a different perspective, it's also real in a different way. So there are different realities of the objects that depend also on who is the observer. That's that's quite a different, uh, you know, consideration, although it's the same. But ultimately consciousness is all there is. And if we want to make a difference in, decision-making on an individual level as well as on a global level, national level, social level, global level, the only way in my feeling and my understanding and my research is in the development of consciousness. Your question goes beyond just individual consciousness to the collective consciousness. And there is a collective consciousness. A society uh, that is made of individuals that are stressed is a stressed society. It's stressed, it's made out of turbulent, uh, sometimes dysfunctional, sometimes agitated, sometimes violent kind of uh, behavior and social ways. And this reflects on the leaders and their decisions and uh, how relations between nations happen, how we take care of our world, our environment, our uh, decision-making in the, in the um, management of society. And therefore, there is something real, which is the collective consciousness of society. The individuals in a society, we can say just to make it um, a little visual, take a metaphor, are like neurons in the brain, because we we highlighted the brain. (laughs) There are billions of neurons in the brain, and each has its own activity, its own electrical functioning, chemical functioning, its own digestion, its own brain, which is in the nucleus, its own reaction uh, to stimuli, and therefore it constitutes an individual also entity that has its own activity, its own consciousness. Now, if these are acting in a way that is balanced, that is, um, let's use the the term holy or or holistic in a sense, and healthy is an easier term, better term, uh, then the entire brain can be working like that and when we say we have consciousness we are conscious i am a conscious individual and my consciousness has a quality and a color you know when i'm happy what does it mean it means my consciousness is colored by happiness when i feel love it means my consciousness is colored by the feeling of love Uh, when i feel um Pain. It means pain is coloring my consciousness because it's all on the level of experience. Without consciousness, we don't experience anything. I mean, if you have somebody was under anesthesia or in coma, you can you know cut the the skin, cut the body, or do anything, pinch them. They feel nothing. They don't experience anything. So joy, happiness, pain, love. Uh, Fulfillment, meaning of life, understanding, all of this are aspects of consciousness. And that consciousness is the consciousness of every aspect of our physiology, which means the heart, the liver, the hand, (laughs) the the face, the brain, of course, which is a major part, plays a huge part. They all contribute to what we call our individual consciousness. In that sense, we call it the collective consciousness of the individual, which is the result of the consciousness of every part of the nervous system, every part of the body also, the gut, the heart, the liver, all of them contribute to our collective human individual consciousness. Now, if you transpose this to society, we can say that society also has a consciousness. Uh, We are not aware of it in the same way as a neuron, individual neuron, is not aware of our consciousness on a higher level because it's a much higher level of consciousness. So the neuron will be just aware of its own limited uh, reactions to situations, to electrical activity, to chemical activity that changes its functioning. But and that it, if it's sitting there by itself it might think it's alone and you know it knows it has friends and they, they they influence it they give it messages they change they exchange they talk to each other through communication of the neurons but it doesn't have a vision of the entire nervous system and the entire body's consciousness now society is the same society creates a consciousness that is more than the sum of the parts, but is based on the sum of the parts of the individual's consciousness. And therefore, decision-making, behavior within a society are influenced definitely by the individuals, of course, that are in society. I mean, for a forest to be green, you have to have... (laughs) every tree green or at least a number of them that is green and then you say the forest is green so for society to be peaceful harmonious and working properly you have to have individuals that are peaceful harmonious and having higher consciousness so how do we change this consciousness of society which in turn influences the individuals as well as certainly the decision makers, the leaders, the companies, the all the, the functional aspects of society, we can change it through changing individual consciousness or improving, better put it like this, improving individual awareness, improving individual consciousness. How do we improve individual consciousness? Through technologies of consciousness. Transcending, for example, is a technique that brings us from the surface level of consciousness to the depths of consciousness. And that's how we improve our consciousness. Now, we might say, well, how, how we will do it? Society is big, it's huge, you can't get everybody to transcend, can't get everybody to meditate. Uh, although more and more interest in meditation is there, more and more interest in transcendence is there. What we have found, which is then, uh, you know, now we go to the empirical experiential, experimental side. And what we have found um, in the 1970s that when a small percentage of people in a town practice transcendental meditation, then there is transformation in the society's uh, behavior in terms of very reliable, Uh, indicators, and these are crime rate, accidents of the road, hospital admission, and even uh, economic indicators, stock market, etc., that have been studied and repeatedly studied systematically. And what we have found is it's enough that 1% of the population of a town or a city or a country, to practice this technique for the collective consciousness to start moving in the right direction and to see these uh, improvements. I have personally participated in these studies. Uh, One of them was even done during the civil war in Lebanon in a village that was surrounded by fighting and uh, dramatic uh, shelling of bombs everywhere and, and Uh, We took that village, uh, which is called Baskinta, and uh, created a 1% effect of the people meditating. The village is uh, about uh, only 20,000 inhabitants at that time, 20-30,000. And so it was easier to have 200-300 people meditating. And it was published, it's amazing the change, compared to all the villages around it, where shellings continued, um, crops were not working, even, amazingly, certain changes in in natural situations, such as uh, hail and uh, damage of the crops, etc., actually avoided uh, this village. And in comparison to other places, it was flourishing, uh, schools opened, no more fighting, uh, people found a reason and a logic, of course, on the surface level, to make peace, to avoid this for that village, whereas the other all control groups, control villages, kept on having issues. So this is a real thing, and what is good is uh, the more advanced techniques of consciousness, we call the Siddhi program, it also comes from the Patanjali Yoga Sutras, the yoga uh, technologies but the advanced parts we have found that the square root of one percent is sufficient to change the social uh, setting and the social behavior and creates these improvements and there is a recent study which has been published which is absolutely amazing that followed up over many many years Uh, stress indicators and problems, even in the United States, compared to the number of people who practice these advanced techniques, uh, particularly together, uh, which we did in uh, Fairfield, in Iowa. Uh, It's a a place where we have our uh, Maharishi International University, which is accredited all the way to the PhD level. And there we have two big domes, that were created for this purpose. So people have assembled and they they used to do their city programs together. And the scientists uh, afterwards have analyzed, just they said, let's see what's happening uh, based on the numbers of people practicing this technology. So they have found an exact correlation in terms of national, Uh, changes in stress, conflict, accidents of the road, and many other factors added up together. And it's amazing, it's almost unbelievable that the numbers actually, when they rise, there is automatic decrease in stress and strain. And when they fall, there is an increase back again to the normal, usual uh, level. And so, this has been repeated many, many times. We did a huge study in Washington, D.C. in the 1980s uh, or 90s uh, beginning. and uh, Yeah, maybe 90s, a little more in the mid-90s. I don't remember the exact year. Uh, I was there, but scientists were there. And we did this one as a prospective study, which means we announced it before. It's not like, oh, okay, you do the analysis of what happened. Uh, in the past, but we said we're going to do this science, this research, and we predict that there will be this, this, and this during a period of time where normally there are no changes at all uh, from many, many previous years as control. So we assembled there as a large group, and when the group assembled, exactly at that time and for the time the group was assembled, there was decrease in crime, decrease accidents of the road, decrease hospital admission, etc., in the entire Washington DC. And this paper was published in a very, very uh, respected journal. And the scientists said we can't understand fully how this could happen, but the science is so accurate and so uh, well done that we cannot refuse to publish it. And you know they looked at controls previous years whether it's weather change whether there was any news any political change or anything that could have contributed to these changes and they didn't find so it was really well done and i took the time because the topic is very important really important and i thank you for raising it in terms of a global change global transformation that is real that and that is very important today for our world because we do see uh we do see divisions, we do see fights, we do see people uh thinking that they can resolve the issues between themselves, between other nations, through uh, physical means, through fighting, through pressure economically, etc., or whatever reason. And we have to say that the ultimate decision, the ultimate way that the decisions can be right, because ultimately, of course, uh, there has to be right decisions and there has to be uh, doing the right things, uh, will come only when the collective consciousness of the nation or the society is less stressed, is functioning on a higher level, with a long perspective of vision, long-term interest, broad comprehension, all encompassing so that life truly works for everyone. And life truly works for everyone as individual, as animals, as trees and rivers and the air, which is our ecology, our uh, surrounding, and and, and, uh, our climate and all of that. Decisions have to be taken. We know actually on the surface level what needs to be done, but people don't do it. And why? It's all in awareness, in consciousness, in understanding, in broader comprehension, broader vision, long-term vision for uh, not just a short period and not just for a short small area, but encompassing our all dear world and for all generations to come
1: magnificent well we have to close but i want to invite you back for a part two absolutely because there's so much more i could ask and we could talk about and you've been so gracious already with your time you just laid out a beautiful framework of possibilities what would you say to all the beautiful souls around the world who found us here today or maybe tomorrow wherever they are how do they that individual cell and that drop of water in the grand sea of consciousness how do they begin to be a part of that beautiful vision for the collective thriving of all sentient beings all conscious beings both seen and unseen so that we can move to the higher ground collectively since we are really just one energy field how do they begin today to become a part of this
0: on the level of consciousness Transcend differences to the infinite unbounded unity of life that underlies all that there is. We truly are the ocean of existence, the ocean of being deep within us. Although the waves are there and they move and they create dynamic activities and differences on the outside are fine. We don't need to eliminate them nature rejoices in its infinite creativity of having different colors of flowers, different shapes, different ways even of thinking, different ways of behaving, different traditions. But all of this is on the level of one ocean that is an infinite state of pure being, pure consciousness. And that ocean is who we are. So, know thyself, go back to the kingdom of heaven within you, know you are created in the image of the divine, as these great traditions of knowledge tell us from different, different sides, be it Jewish, Christian, Muslim, uh, Hindu, uh, Buddhist, uh, Jain, whatever, Taoist, Confucius. When you look deep into all of the traditions, And in their three deep message, they take us to that inner value, which is our inner being. And there is a technology for that. If you don't know how to do it, I suggest transcending Uh, very strongly. Transcendental meditation is the technique we have researched most. But of course, whatever is practical for you, whatever you can do, Uh, in the past to transcending, uh, is uh, a way to make yourself most so you can give most. So we have a responsibility towards ourselves, to developing ourselves, so that we can help most, give most. We can only give what we have. So be maximum and give maximum and enjoy life. Life is bliss. And the future is bright, I have no doubt. You've been listening to the What Matters Most podcast, a 100% listener-supported program. If you feel inspired, please go to our Patreon page at www.patreon.com backslash whatmattersmost And join our family. So until the next time, stay inspired and in the light.